Gotta have hope. My Nana was never one to complain about the many difficulties that the world sent her way. When hardship reared its ugly face and menaced her with its nasty claws, Nana's first instinct was to grab them claws and break them in two. Sometimes it worked out in her favor. Most of the time, it didn't. Always did seem a little thick-headed to me. She was just as like to use a shotgun on a weevil as she was on a bear. At least she was tough. It used to drive me crazy, though. Why'd she always have to be so mean all the time? Daddy tried to explain it to me. Said Nana came from a long line of Scots-Irish who settled in the Appalachians in 1847. They were tough, contrary people. Fought the Union and the Confederates during the Civil War. And after the war, they were so disgusted with the taxes their own state tried to levy on them that they just left the mountains and settled in Spotsylvania. Never looked back. She ain't mean for meanness sake, he said. It was just her way of getting things done. Yeah, well, mean is mean. What do you think gets adopted first, a kitten or a hornet? Daddy laughed at that. What? I asked. Pot, meat, kettle. You trying to say I'm mean? He studied on it. No, you ain't mean. Not as mean as her, at least. Well, it ain't fair. She was my nana. Nanas are supposed to be sweet. Come on, Manda. You know life ain't fair. Worked out that way for Nana, too. All her meanness didn't help her one bit when she got cancer. Happened when I was 13. She tried to scare it by working herself to death, but, you see, disease don't care about your personality. It don't care about your life goals, your family, or what you planned on eating for lunch. Disease cares about one thing and one thing only. Survival. Ironic, ain't it? The one thing it cares about is the one thing that kills it. But hey, ain't nobody said science was empathetic. It's just what happens. I guess you could say it was my nana and me that made me respond the way I did to daddy getting sick when his skin turned gray-green and he developed those dark circles under his eyes. Did I break down? Did I fall apart? No. I strapped daddy's rifle to my back, holstered up my gun, and packed his army backpack full of ammo. Daddy watched, bleary-eyed from his spot on the couch. He'd used up all the tissues. I wouldn't let him touch our stock of toilet paper, and it moved on to a few of his chamois shirts. Where do you think you're going? Daddy, you're burning up. You need, I don't know, penicillin or something? He coughed into the crook of his elbow and hawked up a lunger into the trash can by the couch. I'm fine. Uh-huh. I'm going into town. Bandit, you can't know it'll help. Don't say that. I'm not going to let you go. You're not in any position to tell me what I can and can't do. I shouldered the backpack. It was heavy, but it wasn't nothing I couldn't handle. I'll be back before it gets dark. Keep drinking that water and... What do you think you're doing? He cast off his blanket and started making these little rocking motions like he was trying to build up enough momentum to stand. I'm coming with you. No, you most certainly are not. You'll need someone on your six. Maybe so, but if that someone's you, you'll hold me up more than you'll help. Then I'll have to deal with the Max and the Hives and you, and that don't sound like a workable plan to me. He opened his mouth to argue, but a series of wet coughs came out instead. He fell back on the couch. Don't die before I get back, I said. I'll try not to. To tell the truth, I was scared. 
He'd been sick for three days already, and it was only getting worse. He was turning into one of those things. I knew it. But like I said, I had to try something. I would never be able to forgive myself if I didn't. I checked the fences before I left. Little Seb Mac had walked up onto our property as easy as he pleased four months before, but he'd be hard-pressed to do so now. First thing we did after we burned Lynn and Charlotte's bodies was build a wall to surround the house and the barns. This one was tall, eight feet tall. Took weeks to put it up and nearly emptied out Maurice in the process. But when it was done, between it and the electrified perimeter, well, I wouldn't say we were completely safe, but we were a far stretch safer than anybody else in the county. The weakest point in the whole thing was the gate, I suppose. Anytime you cut a hole in a structure, it weakens it, but there wasn't much else we could do about that. Before all this, before the Max and them weird hives, I could make the drive from our house to Brock Road in about a half an hour. But we haven't been able to replace the gravel in the worst part of the driveway since we built the fences, and navigating around the washed-out parts added extra time. At least the road was empty when I got there. I think I'd have lost my mind if I saw another car. I pulled out onto it, making sure to take it slow, and when I was positive them Max weren't going to come running out of the woods at me or send a tree falling in my path, I tried the radio. It was all static. This didn't surprise me. Even Daddy's ham radio didn't pick up any signals anymore. I remember the last time he tried it. He'd been listening for an hour, using up the last of the batteries before slapping the table in disgust. Damn! You think they're all dead? I asked. Probably. Then what's the point of even listening? The radio waves wound up and down through the static, and Daddy turned down the volume. Gotta have hope. I repeated that to myself as I drove down the road. Gotta have hope. I was about to cut the radio off when I thought I heard something. A human voice. Even though Daddy's truck was new when we bought it, he didn't like to pay for no frills. Manual transmission for him, thank you very much. And do I have to have seatbelts? The radio must have been built in 1948. Turning the dial was a workout. I floated the red line over the part where I thought I heard the noise, and there! The signal came in a little rusty, fading in and out of the static with the wine, but I heard it. See that? Yeah, lit up all... Going too fast. Whole bunch of them on Brock Road. Everywhere. Then I lost it. And I beat my fist on that dashboard. No! There was a bend up ahead, so I downshifted, keeping both hands on the wheel. And when I rounded it, there in the middle of the road was a tree. A huge tree. Must have been from the Paleolithic age. I jammed my feet down on the brakes. The truck squealed and shuddered, and I tried to turn into the skid, but the bend was too sharp, and I was going too fast, and I slammed right into the damn thing. I heard a crack and my head hit the steering wheel. came around to the white static of the radio. My vision was blurry and something wet and slick was running down my face. I sat up, groaning at the pain in my neck and the back of my skull. It felt like, well, it felt exactly like slamming your head into a steering wheel was supposed to feel like. Hurt like hell. That wasn't the worst part, though. Worst part was what I saw standing in the middle of the road. Looked like a person, but my head was so fuzzy that it could have been just about anything. I blacked out again. And when I came around the second time, my vision had cleared. It was a Mac, and it was coming closer. I slapped around on the bench seat for my gun, but it wasn't there. 
must have fell out onto the floor, but I couldn't see it there either, and oh, my head felt like it was going to split open, and maybe the gun slipped between the bench and the passenger door, but I couldn't reach that far because of the seatbelt and I peered out the windshield. The Mac was maybe 20 feet away, and it looked terrible. All sunken eyes, concave cheeks, sticks for wrists. Its clothes hung off it in strips, and it looked like its ribs were sticking out of its skin. Reminded me of the pictures of the Holocaust victims I'd seen in history class. It stared at me, head dipped forward, a weird, flat expression on its face. Panicked, I released the seatbelt and lunged to the other side of the cab, frantically fishing for my gun. I shot up to see where the Mac was, but it had disappeared. I slapped my hand on the push-button lock, slid to the other side and did the same. All I could hear was my hurried breathing filling the cab. Something moved to my right. I whipped my head that way. Nothing. Now it was on my left. Again, nothing. Then slowly, very slowly, I brought my eyes up to the rear view. It was askew, and when I adjusted it, the face of the Mac filled the whole mirror. It slammed its fist through the cab window and grabbed me by the throat. That smell, that terrible smell of rot filled the cabin. The skin on its hand was gray and covered in dark purple bruises, and it slowed off when I clawed at it. Its other fist punched through the glass and a forearm pressed back on my forehead. Then I heard machine gun fire. The windows and windshields shattered and showered glass down all over me. The driver's side door was wrenched open. I felt someone clamp down on my leg and pull. I reached out to grab something, anything, but I was too late. I flew out of the cab and my head smacked against the flung open door. And then I was being dragged off the road and into the woods. Get her out of here, someone yelled. I was a little woozy, but still managed to draw my free leg back and kick as hard as I could. I connected with something soft and heard a woof of breath. Whoever it was hit me in the face. Twice. Jesus, Tony, take it easy. Shut up, Ray. I scrabbled to my feet and lunged around, swinging both fists. I couldn't see very good with all the blood and sweat and hair in my face, but I could make out two figures. Two figures dressed in camouflage and toting automatics. Army? Guard? Survivalist wannabes? Whoa, 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 one of them said. Must have been Ray. We're just trying to help. I stopped swinging and brushed my hair out of my face, wiped the blood away with the back of my hand. We got a funny way of showing it. Look, there's a whole herd of skinnies out here. We've got to move fast. Skinnies? That's what we call them. Oh, I get it. I staggered back to Daddy's truck. If wrecking into that tree hadn't killed it, that barrage of bullets did. The Mac was splayed out in the back, its skull mashed to a pulp, its body riddled and leaking green. I rested my forehead on the frame and closed my eyes. Daddy, if he lived through this, was going to kill me. You all alone out here? Tony. Yeah, I mean, no, it's me and Daddy. Your daddy around here? No, he's laid up sick. I'm heading into town. Gotta find some penicillin. Town? You mean Fredericksburg? You know any other town nearby? You don't want to go in there. Place is dead. Well, the hospital then. It's even worse. How? How do you think? Those things, they're all over it. I thought wildly for a second, but no response, no solution came to mind. Look, I said, I don't care about you or what you're doing, but if I don't get back with some medicine, he's gonna die and... So, so I gotta go. Tony shook her head. There's no point. Penicillin doesn't work. Nothing works. Once you're sick... Shut up! Shut your mouth! She grabbed my arm, but I yanked it free. Got about ten steps away when she lit up the ground around me. I stopped. I can't let you do that, she said. I turned around. So what, you gonna shoot me? Tony bristled, and I could tell she didn't be in light talk to like that. She was in charge, or she thought of herself that way. You're coming with us. The hell I am. Then we heard it. The Max song. That terrible song. They were near. Tony shrugged. 
us or them. I stumbled along between them, Tony in front, Ray behind. They was striped. Gotta give them credit for it. Full-on military gear. Camo, boots, helmets, machine guns, utility belt, knives, armor. Tony had a coiled white wire trailing out of her shirt and into her ear, and whispers of a radio transmission trickled out as we walked along. Everything on me hurt, especially my head, which had thankfully stopped bleeding. I got to limping, too. Not that I broke my leg again, I hadn't, but because all the trauma made me weak, made my bones ache like there was an invisible line where the old cracks ran. Daddy's voice echoed in my mind. You break a bone, it don't ever heal complete. And not for the last time did I curse his experience. We kept Brock to our right, heading north-northwest, so at least I didn't feel like I was backtracking. Tony made sure to march us through the woods to stay out of sight. Whenever we came across a house or a driveway, she steered us around it. Every now and then, she put her hand to her earpiece to listen to the chatter. And other than that, we didn't speak a word. They stopped after about an hour, and Ray handed me his canteen. I was so thirsty that I upended it. Before I even got a mouthful, Tony snatched it out of my hands. Sip it. Think that stuff comes easy? Okay, okay. She gave it back to me, begrudgingly, and set to munching on some kind of energy bar. I watched her isolate herself, like she summoned some kind of an invisible bubble. Made it easier to, I don't know, dream about killing kittens. Ray handed me a chunk of his energy bar. I'm Ray. He held out his hand and I looked at it for a second before shaking it. I know. Well, then you got one on me. What's your name? Amanda. Well, nice to meet you, Amanda. Tony balled up her wrapper and threw it on the ground. No time for chit-chat, you two. Time to boogie. Then she got up and left. Didn't even wait for us. Ray stood up, finishing what was left of his bar. You might not believe me, but she's really not that bad. You could have fooled me. It was gone noon when Tony stopped and knelt to the ground, waving for us to follow. I guess I didn't move fast enough because Ray grabbed me by the shoulder and yanked me down. What's up? He whispered. Tony held up a finger. She was listening to her earpiece a little too intently. Suddenly she hissed and yanked it out. What? Ray asked. Zero's down. Oh, shit. Maggie, would you shut up about her? What's zero? I asked. Tony clicked the safety off her machine gun, scanning the woods around us. Tony, what's... Shut up. Ray filled me in. It's our farthest outpost. It's where we were heading. Both of you stop talking, Tony said. They've breached Brock Road. I assumed that was bad. Tony kept scanning the woods like something was going to jump out at us any minute. Ray, take off your pack. Ray obeyed immediately. He threw it on the ground between them and unzipped it. It was filled with magazines. 100 rounders, 200 rounders, 300 rounders. When Tony seemed satisfied that the coast was clear, she turned to us to say something and then her eyes widened. Shit! She raised her machine gun and started firing. I hit the ground and covered my ears. Had the Max found us? I was wrapped up in a ball, machine gun fire deafened in my ears. I heard a squealing sound, and then the smell hit me. The same smell from Gomez's farm. The same smell from the Max trailer. And the same smell from the Mac that just tried to get me. I opened my eyes. It was a hive. Half buried in the forest floor about 20 feet behind us. It wasn't there before. It must have boiled up when we were passing by. I watched its surface as Ray and Tony emptied their magazines. They paused to reload and it cracked open, sending its tentacles whipping toward us. One grabbed Ray by the feet and upended him. He yelled and dropped his machine gun as the tentacle dragged him toward the pink and green pulp pulsing inside. He took out his tactical knife and tried to hack away at it, but it tightened and he screamed again. Tony popped another magazine into her M16. She was about to fire when another tentacle shot out and knocked it away. Behind you, Ray cried. A third tentacle wrapped around Tony's leg. She whipped out her sidearm and emptied the clip into it. 
Then a tentacle swooped in out of nowhere and thunked into her chest. Another one smashed through her belly. A third took her head. They waved her in the air in triumph, her body deflating as they drained her dry. Ray was still fighting. He'd managed to get one foot free and was slashing at the tentacle swarming for him. Amanda, help me! He slashed at one, cutting off the tip. Green stuff sprayed his chest, burning through his camo, and he screamed, and another swept his leg out from under him. I looked at the ammo bag. I looked at Tony's machine gun. I looked at Ray. I thought about Daddy lying on the couch, waiting for me. And I remembered what he said about Nana. I can't, I said. And I snatched up that gun and ammo bag, and I ran. It took longer than I thought to walk into town. Much longer. First, I had to backtrack to the truck and find my gun. It was probably a stupid idea, but the three fifty seven was Daddy's, and he just let me use it, and there was no way I was going to leave it there. It was jammed down between the bench seat and the door, just like I thought. Had myself a moment when I couldn't find it, fishing around with a machine gun strapped to my back, totally vulnerable to whatever Mac or Skinny or whatever you wanted to call him happened upon me. Gave my belly an icy feeling, and I kept looking over my shoulder, which made it take longer to find a dang thing. But then my fingers traced the grip, and, still looking over my shoulder, I snagged it up, and I had it in my hands. Felt a little light compared to the weight of the machine gun, but bullet don't care where it come from. It was as nice a day as anybody could ask for. No sun in the sky, but no clouds neither. Couldn't have been but a pinch under 50 degrees. Only thing that shivered my nerves was the sound the leaves made as I walked, and the sticks and the branches too. Between the crunching and the cracking, I probably announced myself to anybody within a half-mile radius. I avoided the main roads as much as possible, cut across Gordon rather than take Route 3, and used a bike path that connected to Cowan to cut to Route 1. Tony's words kept popping back into my head. It won't work. Once they're sick, I wanted to ignore them, but I couldn't. I had to try. I had to. The CVS by the college was a bust. So was the one down by the hospital. Found plenty of painkillers, aspirin and ibuprofen and the like, but nothing was sillin' in it. By four o'clock in the afternoon, the sun was starting to go down, and I didn't have a thing. Hadn't seen no Max nowhere. Hadn't needed to fire a shot. But I didn't have anything to show for all my effort. Route 1 was as empty as my stomach, so I ducked into the Weiss and looted me some food. Nothing nourishing. A bag of potato chips, chocolate bar. Gave me a burst of energy. Brought up my mood. There was a tattoo parlor next to the subway. On a hunch, I broke the window and rummaged around in every drawer I could see. Didn't find nothing but rubbing alcohol and sterilized needles and some skunk weed in a crinkled baggie. And that was it. All I could think about was my poor daddy, sweating and suffering on our couch. He was going to die because I couldn't get my shit together. I, I didn't know what to do. I, I couldn't think of any other place to go. I couldn't go house to house, rummaging around in medicine cabinets. Who knew how long that would take her? What I'd run into? I went out onto the sidewalk and sat down on the curb. I didn't want to make the long walk home. I didn't want to go home at all. I knew what would be waiting for me when I got there.
Hey, hey, thank you for tuning into the Mad Tales podcast. I hope you enjoyed this week's chapter. If you cannot wait until next week to finish the story, you can always buy it in ebook and paperback form from Amazon.com, or you can buy it directly from me, both in ebook and in paperback, a signed paperback nonetheless, uh, from my website, www.jamesnoll.net. That's www.jamesnoll.net. And if you would love to support me on Patreon, I would love you to support me on Patreon. I'm offering all kinds of cool extras, including access to bonus material, uh, the ebooks released one week at a time, the chapter at a time, uh, customized short stories. And if I can build enough of a following, I want to film a live action version of Make the Hive Great Again, one of my favorite chapters from the Hive. It's uh, at the end of the first season. It's the very last chapter of the of the first season. That would be an awesome thing to do. So if you want to visit my Patreon page, it's www.patreon.com slash madtails. That would be fantastic. And I will see you guys next week.